Welcome to the Fellowship College Podcast. Today, we're talking about fasting. We told you that right from the get-go so that 90% of you can just go to some other podcast that you've been <laughs> wanting to listen to because if you're anything if you're anything like us the, even the thought of the practice of fasting or we're also going to talk about silence and solitude and abstaining and sim- lives of simplicity whenever we talk about those type of things I kind of want to just hide or <laughs> or or run so far away. But I just learned in these last few moments that Eileen loves silence and solitude. And so I'm actually pumped about that mm. because I do not love it. <laughs> some of it some of it's personality driven. Yeah. What remind remind the listeners y'all's enneagrams. I Jacob Bookout, I'm a one. I Eileen Pierce am also a one with my strong people pleasing wings. Oh, I don't know what that means. I mean, just nines and twos are the wings of a one, and both mine are equally strong. And it oh, so you have both of, wings? Is what you're saying? You have two. How'd you I get go, two wings? Well, no, like just, most people are like them. Nemo, yeah. you know, with like okay. one, <laughs> one good fin, one bad fin. <laughs> I didn't know you could get two wings. Yeah, Eileen I mean, I I is the, the only are. person <laughs> in the world that has two strong no, I fins. Just, I just see them. They're both. The, it comes out of a place of people pleasing, y'all. We are growing. It just. Okay. Anyway, it was kind of Josh? a flex that you have two wings. <laughs> no, I, mean, I feel flex. like that's not. I feel like people like bounce between them, right? Like one, uh-uh. most people have like a more dominant one, but I have never gotten okay. anywhere close okay. to a six. I think the enneagram is fake. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> isn't it satanic? Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about pentic. No, oh, well, nope. we're not going <laughs> to talk home, about Josh. that. Okay, sorry. There's some weird energy in the room today. <laughs> um, I'm a seven, wing eight. Mm-hmm. strong eight wing as Eileen would say some people say that he's an eight wing seven but i don't know who that would be yeah just like peter me and me and the apostle peter both either seven wing eights or eight wing seven doesn't doesn't really matter because we just they both are very prevalent in my life um and because i'm a seven i hate silence and solitude i hate fasting like anything about getting away from people or giving up things that I like or enjoy. I mean, it sounds like torture. It does on the surface, but over the last year to two years, as I've tried to put some of these into practice, I've actually started to see some of the fruit of them. And so if you're like me and these just sound horrible these disciplines these practices they sound terrible just keep listening and hopefully by the end of this podcast you'll you'll be able to take one baby step in the right direction and so if you didn't listen to last week's episode when we started spiritual disciplines we've broken up the spiritual disciplines in the same way that dallas willard did and we have the disciplines of engagement which are like Maybe what you think of when you think of spiritual disciplines, these are things, good things that we put into practice. So reading your Bible, praying, uh, memorization and meditation, uh, community and worship, those kind of things. 
And today we're talking about the flip side of that coin uh, with the disciplines of, he says, he calls them the disciplines of abstinence. I know that word we think of like, oh, they're not having sex. That, that word just means to like remove something, to, to take away something. And so it's the disciplines of that where, where we take something out. Again, things that aren't necessarily bad in themselves, but we remove them in order to encounter God's presence. Mm-hmm. And so the, the ones that we're going to be focusing on today are the disciplines of fasting, silence and solitude, the discipline of abstaining, and if we have time, which we probably won't, the discipline of simplicity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's start with the one that we're probably most familiar with, and let's talk about the discipline of fasting. And so can someone give us some sort of definition? Like what is, what is fasting? Yeah, that's a, I thought you actually gave a great definition before we started recording. Um, it was, um, removing food or abstaining. So it's a kind of a form of abstinence, but specifically food for a specific purpose and for a specific length of time. It's a John Piper quote, but thank you, John Piper. Thank (laughs) you, John Piper. And Joshua, Joshua, ask Pastor Josh, ask Pastor Josh. Um, it's actually a really helpful framework when you think about uh, fasting. John Piper actually has some great resources. So if you want to kind of dive deeper into fasting, go to Desiring God and just even type in fasting, and you can find a re- lot of really good resources. But it's it's to remove or abstain from from food and sometimes water, but not always to abstain from food for a specific purpose in a specific period of time. And so if you have those, those three things, so if you have, okay, I'm going to remove food and I'm going to do it for this reason and I'm going to do it for this set time, that's kind of the framework that, that we have with, with fasting. And so I guess the question is why? Like why, what are some of these purposes uh, that we could have for removing food? Why, why is, why could that potentially be a good thing for us? Um, well, I think in the old Testament, a lot of times when we see people fasting, um, it would be in groups. Um, it would be, you know, a King is declaring a fast for everyone. Um, it's a time of, of grief. You know, they hear that the Lord is going to turn his face away. And so, um, or something big happens. And so they declare a fast and they're tearing their clothes and they're mourning and grieving and all of those things. Um, and, and it's almost like, a an awareness of, who they are as people and who God is, you know, it's almost like a, like a resetting of, Oh, I I know where my place is and I know who God is. Um, and then, you know, we can look in the new Testament and we see fasting, um, on individual levels, uh, when it comes to being with the Lord and being mindful of him and, um, asking him things and asking for wisdom and guidance. And so uh, when we see fasting in scripture, it's a, it's an opportunity to remove something that we we find ourselves dependent on and saying, Lord, like you, we need you even more. Um, we are putting you above that. And it's it's putting ourselves in a place where we are fully dependent on the Lord and um, just being reminded of who he is in our relationship to him. You'll have stuff to add to that. 
That's yeah. re- that's really good. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's um, I, I think about it a lot of times in the lens of in some type of way pursuing strengthening ourselves spiritually by weakening ourselves physically. Mm. Um, and so like one of the obviously foundational parts of us as humans is that we have to eat food. Um, that is ha- literally how you survive. And so to remove this thing that like at the most primal level you, you are going to crave and for good reason because you need it to survive. But to deny that um, is like, one of the most intense ways um, and and effective ways, I think, is which is why we see it all the time in Scripture and why God's like, hey, do these things. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a, you're entering yourself into a type of suffering that, and, and intentionally turning, like you said, your dependence on God. And in return, in some capacity, you will be strengthened in that. And so it's like a weird dichotomy that doesn't really make sense because it's like, Usually we think of if you're going to strengthen, you have to add on in some capacity, but this is the exact opposite. And the point is because it is completely reliance on God, not ourselves. Mm, I like that. Weaken, weakening the body in order to strengthen the the soul or the spirit. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know who whose quote this is, but um, someone once said, if dependence like on God, if dependence on God is is the goal, then weakness is actually an advantage. Mm -hmm. And so fasting is just a practical way to do that. Here's another John Piper quote. He says, ultimately we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything this world has to offer us. Mm -hmm. Fasting at its, at its root, at its core is giving up something good for something great. Mm -hmm. It's like to remove something good, like food, which is a gift from God, in order to experience something even better, God's God's presence. Or Andrew Murray, if you not the tennis, not the famous tennis player. Right, that's <laughs> but, exactly what I thought of. I know. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's U.S. Open season, and so uh, Andrew Murray says prayer is reaching out after the unseen. That's kind of what we talked about last week. But fasting is letting go of all that is seen and temporal. Fasting helps express deepen, confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. And so again, at at the very core, fasting is letting go of these things that are, are good and actually gifts of God, like food, in order to strengthen and, and attain something that's, that's even, even greater a recognition of, of his kingdom work, a recognition of his, his presence and to, to rely more and more on him daily instead of, instead of ourselves or instead of relying on his gifts instead of him. And so where do we see fasting in, in the Bible? What are some examples? There's, I feel like there's plenty. Yeah. The, and as Eileen mentioned throughout, um, the old Testament, a lot of the times these fasts do come in um, like group settings um, and it's to like grieve things or pursue God in some type of way. Um, one that I think people um, might be most familiar with is uh, Daniel. Whenever um, he basically the king's like, uh, or whenever they get brought into Babylon and they're trying to assimilate all these um, Jews that they're helping like, 
trying to get them to help lead in Babylon. They're like, hey, you're going to be like us and you're going to eat all these things and whatever. And Daniel and his friends are like, actually, we're going to refuse these like meats and sweets and all these things that you have and just eat these like vegetables and water. And they're like, no, like you have to be strengthened. And he's like, well, no, test us against all those other people you're going to feed us with. And so um, you're feed with the, your food and then come and test us. And we're only going to live on hardly anything, mostly water. Um, and they test them. And whenever they come back around after, um, uh, how long was it? One, 21 days. Yeah. 21 days. So there's, that was like a long one. Uh, and they were like just as strong. And so theirs was like this reliance on God to basically, and they were getting lured into, Hey, don't worship Yahweh anymore. Like stop being Jewish in this way. And they're like, no, we will, we will participate and like, and serve and do work for the good of Babylon. Um, but we're not going to leave Yahweh to do it. Um, and so that was like this reliance thing. And a lot of people have probably heard of, which is why I bring it up something like a Daniel fast, which is sometimes it's people are like, it's just water. And then sometimes it's like vegetables and water or whatever. But um, that's always the one that I think of, because it's actually kind of a longer narrative, ex- like explaining what was going on. Yeah. Um, I think uh, in the Old Testament, um, along with Daniel, if you look at Esther, um, Mm. there's a fast that happens there um, in Esther chapter four. Basically, they hear that um, the king is going to kill all of Esther's people and they're they're grieving and there's, you know, sackcloth and ashes and all of these things. And Esther's like, yo, you know what? We're going to pray. We're going to fast. You go fast over there. I'm going to fast too. And then once we're done, I'm going to go to the king and I'm going to go before him. And um, I think that's just a really cool example of like, man, the, the people of God being united in something as a, a whole body. And, and But uh, man, fasting, is, it's so individual, right? Like it's our own, you know, instincts and and. and survival things and like like we have to eat to be able to to live and all of these things and so it's so individual um but at the same time they're doing it together and so it's it's not like they're alone um and something about that just seems really um just really powerful Mm. you know when the people of god come together and do something on an individual level level but as one body um but yeah so so they do that in esther um there, uh, oh gosh, like I have a list uh, that, that have different fasts in it, but, um, you know, there are fasts and judges and throughout the, the historical books, you know, Samuel, um, Kings, things like that. Um, what are some examples of, of Jesus fasting, right? I know. I mean, the yeah, big the big one. Matt. <laughs> Matthew 4. Thank you. Well, before we, before we get there, because we're talking about like some having a specific purpose for yeah. your fasting. Mm-hmm. And so one that, that we talked about, like the... Like we talked about, uh, like Esther is a great example mm-hmm. of seeking guidance. Nehemiah does the same thing. They fast in a specific, like for a purpose, like, okay, I need help from God. Let's all fast mm-hmm. in order to get like some sort of answer or, or to see what, what God has to say to us. We see, we see the same thing in, in the book of Acts as well. Acts 13 and 14, the people fast in order to get an answer mm-hmm. from God. We see both David and Jonah fasting as a part of like repentance, kind of like the turn back to, to the Lord to make their, I guess you could say their, their body and their flesh reflect the state of their soul. Like this, this weakness in their, in mm-hmm. their soul, this, what, what do you like? <laughs> Sorry, Josh, I didn't mean to give you a look. I mean, 
did Jonah actually repent? That's a and great they question. Listen to his prayer. He doesn't repent in that. He's just sorry for himself. Yeah, in he, my opinion. No, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. Go read Jonah. He's he's kind of just going through the motions. But David, yeah, yeah, after good, after he gets confronted, um, after everything that happened with Bathsheba, is actually fasting and mourning, um, in order to reflect. Hey, this is this is where my heart and my soul is in this place of weakness and and brokenness um and then as as we've said the ult, like ultimately fasting is this uh intimacy to produce this intimacy with god and so when we see jesus come on the scene one of the first things he does before he starts any of his teachings healing like any of his like public ministry he goes in the wilderness and fasts. And so what does that look like in, in Matthew four? Can someone kind of set the scene for that? Yeah. So you read through the gospels, Jesus um, is baptized and God's like, Hey, this is my beloved son. And everybody's like, Oh my gosh. And John the Baptist is like, that's crazy. And, and before Jesus goes out to do his ministry, he goes out for 40 days into what the new Testament is going to call the wilderness. Um, we in Northwest Arkansas have an idea of what wilderness is, and it is abundant. Wilderness in the Near East and Middle East means nothing but rocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no water. There's no trees to hide like from the sun. Mm-hmm. It is barren. Eileen and I went there, and we're like, oh, my gosh. There's <laughs> literally nothing out there. Um, and so Jesus goes out into that type of landscape uh, in order to, uh, well, one kind of model as the true Israelite who's going to be faithful to God and uphold the whole law, um, where Israel in their past, after they were delivered through the waters out of Egypt and then went into 40 years of wondering, didn't do that. So it's kind of like this little model subtype, like um, a reversal almost. Yeah. Uh, and, so, and he's like, Hey, I'm like, I'm actually going to do it. Whereas my people haven't before. Uh, and while he's doing that, um, it says that Satan tempts him with all these, um, basically worldly desires. And the first one that he starts off with is, uh, it's not just pure worldly desire, but he's basically like, Hey, you're fasting right now. Um, turn these rocks into bread. Like, I know you obviously can yeah, do that. You're like you're hungry. You're hungry. <laughs> right? you like, just do it. And Jesus comes back and he's like, Hey, man is not going to live off of bread alone. Um, but on every word of God. And, uh, and so he's quoting these truths about God against Satan in order to stay consistent in his obedience to God, but then also the reliance on God Mm -hmm. that he's doing in the wilderness. And so he's doing it as this like model type of the true Israelite. Um, but he's also about to enter into, you know, you'll read the rest of his life in the gospels for three years of intense ministry where he continues to go out and do some of these other Um, practices of abstinence and things like that. Um, But it's this like deep strengthening thing that happens. And in the midst of it, Satan just absolutely attacks him. But obviously he's like, no, I will remain faithful to God and throughout all this. Yeah. What I think is so fascinating is that when I was growing up and I I heard that story, I, I read it as, Oh wow. Look how, look how much power and self-control Jesus has even when he's at his weakest, he still resists resists Satan. And I think that's true. Like I think Jesus at his weakest <laughs> still would resist Satan. But I actually, the more I've I've read it and the older I've gotten, I've realized that, oh, actually I think 
in, in some crazy way, Jesus was at his strongest, mm-hmm. that the fasting actually gave him, as you're saying, Jacob, this reliance on God in this 40 days of fasting helped him to to really tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, to, to rely on on the Father. And it was it was even though his body was at its weakest, mm-hmm. his his heart and his soul and his spirit was at its strongest. And so resisting temptation was was I like I hate to say it, but like easier for him mm-hmm. because he was at his strongest like spiritually from fasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean at the same time, yes, he was fasting, but also he was practicing silence and solitude. He was in the middle of nowhere with these rocks and the sun beating. Are you trying down. to jump to silence and solitude? I just, but she that's just what he up. was doing. I mean, look at it; it pairs no, so totally. well. And he was praying, and he, which is the engagement with oh my the gosh. Lord. <laughs> and he had he was at least reciting God's word, and so there's some sort of scripture, Torah, like mm-hmm. in there in there as well. Sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. No, I mean, I, I, literally there wasn't a point to that other than <laughs> yes, he's fasting, but also he's not with anyone, but the Lord, you know, like, like Jesus is with the father and the Holy spirit. It says in, in um, chapter four, verse one, Jesus was led by the spirit mm. into the wilderness to be mm-hmm. tempted. Um, and just because it's funny, verse two says after fasting 40 days and 40 he was nights, hungry. he was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> that's yes. how I know the Bible <laughs> <You> is true. <laughs> That's that's my apologetic right. right there. I know the Bible is true. Imagine him coming back in from being out in the middle of nowhere for 40 days and everybody's like, oh, where were you? Like, what's going on? And he's just like, hey, I'll tell you in a minute. First. Like, they don't have a Snickers? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I need a Snickers so bad. They're like, Jesus, you're not, you're not, you're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> and so you you are completely right, Isla. He was out there practicing silence and solitude as well Mm -hmm. and so what does that practice even look like thank you so much for asking i would love to tell you um silence and solitude they go together they're like pb and j um they are uh, wow you really just gave me a look i got thrown off i'm sorry um i that just came from the spirit guys pb and j silence and solitude what's pb and j um the the I, was, I can't make a word play. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really tried. Good try. Thanks. <laughs> um, silence and solitude are when you take a step back um, and you quiet your mind with the Lord. And I think that's something that in our culture we need a lot <laughs> and we often don't have um, because our culture is telling us that we need to be going, going, going and always working, always doing something, always with other people. Um, if you slow down, man, you're lazy or whatever, whatever. And if you look at Jesus and his ministry, uh, that boy was peacing out a lot. <laughs> um, I think it's Luke that's the gospel that points those out a lot. But um Jesus, you know, he would be interacting with the crowds and then you would see him kind of peace out and, and go into the wilderness for a little bit and, and be by himself. Or he would take the the apostles, his, his followers, and, and they would just kind of camp out for a little bit and, and get away so that Jesus could have time with the Father. And silence, um, you can kind of look at it as, yeah, obviously, you know, outside of ourselves, we, we need um, silence from our phones, from being around other people, from 
um, even music, you know, and, and just literally not having anything enter our ears, but also there's an inward silence of just quieting, you know, the anxieties, those repetitive thoughts, the, um, the, the worries, the, oh, I have to do this, or this is on my to-do list and I'm not doing this. And, and truly just sitting before the Lord, um, with, with no agenda other than being present with him and, and listening and, um, just, just having that peace. And I mean, this is, this is my favorite, uh, spiritual practice because Jesus is a safe space. Like he is the one that knows us, um, better than we know ourselves, better than anyone. Um, he's the one that we can go to. And often in those times, I mean, when we're going about our day being busy and whatever, whatever, we often don't allow ourselves to just sit with, man, like that happened last week and actually it's really been bothering me. Or um, even having sin come up and, and having to confess that and be like, man, Lord, like I've been, I've been treating this person really, really poorly lately. Or man, that thing that I said last night at that group, that, that wasn't okay. And so I feel like giving ourselves a second to pause with the Lord allows for those things to come up naturally, but in a safe space. Um, and knowing that we are human beings that we're meant to be in a relationship with the Lord and being in that space. I mean, I, man, I think of, um, Moses in the burning bush and, and the father saying, you know, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. And I truly think that every time that we practice silence and solitude and really just allow ourselves to step away from all the things of the world and just be present with the Lord, that is a, a sacred space. Um, so I don't know if that actually answered the question, but yeah. It was really helpful. I think, so we'll have, we'll have two perspectives here and then wherever Jacob lands on the spectrum, <laughs> it sounds like we have pol polar opposites where this, like you've seen the, the, the fruit in this, like this is a really sacred place for you to be alone with the Lord. I, I like envy that. Um, I've been trying to put this into practice and I've been learning more about it. And the hardest part for me isn't even necessarily to get alone or away. It's once I get alone or away, it's the, the internal silence, I think mm -hmm. is what you said. Mm -hmm. It's the quieting of my, my thoughts. It's trying to like, like be, get my mind to, to rest. And so how would you say someone like me, who's terrible at this practice would go about try like at least learning to get their, their mind mm -hmm. to, to rest or to silence their, their like inner monologue and their thoughts and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Well, I mean, I guess I can only speak for myself and, and what worked in that, but I'm starting with prayer <laughs> and saying, Lord, my mind is so busy. <laughs> and even if you have to pray that 10 times within the span of one minute of no, no, no. Like I keep having these thoughts come up. Like, Lord, would you just quiet my mind um, and just sitting with him? And I think practicing, you know, not taking out three hours and just going, but you know, maybe start with five minutes. <laughs> um, one morning, you know, you get out of bed and you just sit for five minutes, set a timer. So you don't have to worry about the time. You don't have to keep looking at the clock. Um, but set a timer, set your phone to the side and just sit, not, you know, um, thinking through your day, not thinking about other people, just sitting with the Lord. 
um, and really just just striving for um, that moment. And, and I think starting small and then working your way up. Um, for me, it was having a like a, a safe physical location. So in college, when I started following Jesus, there was a um, like a forest kind of behind our a campus. wilderness, the wilderness, <laughs> not like the Middle East. Um, there were trees and there was a river and I would go and I would just sit by the river. And I mean, I'm like in the, the trees, like no one's around. And that was my safe place. Um, just kind of being by water, being alone outside and just being able to sit with the Lord. And I mean, when life was getting overwhelming in college, I would always go there. I mean, I, if I had a busy week, I mean, you would find me in the mornings or in the afternoons or evenings, whenever, just like secluding myself alone with the Lord in those moments, because those were safe spaces. Um, and so maybe that's finding a safe place for you that you can just rest, that your, your soul just finds, um, peace, uh, and, and maybe that's just, you know, working your way up time-wise of I'm just going to sit for one minute. I'm not going to have anything come to my mind. I'm going to ask the Lord to clear my mind um, and just practicing that. Yeah. One of my, um, or the most common ways that I experience and practice silence and solitude is on more of a micro level where it's like five to 10 minutes and try to do it regularly. Um, Like every day is always like the goal, but a lot of times it ends up being, you know, like four or five days out of the week or something like that. Uh, but to like practically tackle the busyness of mind aspect, um, I learned a, uh, basically a method of, um, it's not technically meditation by its like true definition. Um, but it is a way to practice capturing thoughts. And it actually, I learned it whenever it was like in the aspect of denying sin, whenever Paul says, Hey, take your thoughts captive. Um, somebody taught me this in one way. And it was basically that, especially when you have a busy mind, uh, it can, he, he gives an analogy of, uh, it's like you're in an ocean and you're floating. And so basically when you are floating in the ocean, like your head is just above water and all you see are these waves, even if they're not huge, you can't see the tops of them. And so basically your experience is like, oh, there's this wave here and it'll come and crash or like you'll bob over it. And then there's another one and you're just just kind of being swamped by these waves. And those are your thoughts. The practice is to basically imagine, like sit, get in a position like Ailey was saying, that's like safe or comfortable and um, ask God to help you just declutter your mind and close your eyes and basically think what I do is I take an ocean scene in my mind and like I'm, I'm floating in the ocean and then I zoom my perspective up to above the ocean, like way up in the sky. So I'm looking down on it. And when you do that, the waves don't look big. It's just like a flat ocean. You can kind of like see waves, but they're not over your head. And then I'll sit there and I basically just try to, as I'm sitting there, maybe focusing on my breathing or like what I feel or anything like that. Um, when a thought comes into my head, that's kind of leading my mind astray. I'll recognize it and then I'll visualize that thought as like kind of floating on one of those waves and I'll let it float out of the picture that I have in my mind. And that's it coming like floating out of my mind. And it's a way of capturing thoughts that you have. And as you do that, basically you can get to a point where after a lot of practice where you can kind of be in that mental space and there's not as many thoughts happening. And then after the five or 10 minutes is up, you're like, Oh, I feel like really still. Um, but that's like a mental way to actually like take thoughts captive for anybody who silence and solitude is really hard. 
can we record you <laughs> leading me through some meditations <laughs> that I can just kind of listen to at night before I go to bed? Yeah, I'll, I'll create my that own was, app. <laughs> that was I'm awesome. I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you say that. And I, Jacob, I feel like everything is just coming together. It makes so much more sense because... For those of you who don't know Jacob, he is like the most steady human being I have ever met. Like we went to the Middle East together last year and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Like there's chaos. I don't know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. And I look over and Jacob is just straight. Like he, this boy, <laughs> nothing phases him. He's he's just so steady. That makes so much sense. That does make a lot of sense. That your mind is just, man. Well, if anybody's interested, we can have a little meditation, <laughs> a little meditation <laughs> yeah, together. Please. Yeah. I would, I would love that. And so we see this, we actually see this all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. As we said, Moses made a regular practice of like uh, getting away from the people that he was leading and stepping alone into the, into the presence of God, whether that was uh, up on the mountain or when they had the tabernacle, like stepping into the tent of meeting like he would, he would regularly go and be in the presence of God alone. Um, we see, like we say, we see Jesus do this often. You could technically say, like in a way, Elijah did this when he went up to hear God speak. The famous passage where it's like God didn't speak to him through the wind or through the the thunder or through the fire, but actually God was speaking to him in a still small whisper. And I think, again, I'm not necessarily talking from like really great experience here, but I have had moments and I, and I, and I think that God is actually speaking to us way more than we know. Mm. And it's actually us that hasn't put ourselves in a place to listen. And that's part of the purpose of, of silence and solitude. I don't think we're always going to leave these moments with like, I have a, a word from the Lord, mm -hmm. but I think, I think we, we would understand him better deep in our relationship and, and sometimes, uh, hear him speak. If we made this a regular practice to go and quiet, not only our external surroundings, but also our, our internal voices and thoughts and anxieties and just spent time in his presence, silence, silent and still. And so that's like, if, if that's something that you're longing for, um, this is, this is why this practice has been going on for, for thousands of years in both the Jewish and, and Christian traditions. And so the last one we'll talk about today before we maybe give a few practicals to end, I think that would be helpful mm -hmm. is we kind of touched on this, but this, this, discipline of abstinence or abstaining. So what's the difference between fasting and abstaining? Yeah. Fasting is specifically food. Um, you are not eating or drinking depending on kind of the version of the fast that you're doing. Um, abstinence is removing something that's normal from your life. Um, that is basically not food. Um, and a lot of times it's for the sake of, uh, well, I say this, for me, and then a lot of people I talk with to practice abstinence from something like uh, if you do social media or coffee or whatever, it is a practice to basically not allow that thing to begin ruling over your life in some capacity. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times I feel it if I feel super like consumeristic about 
maybe one specific thing or even in general. And it's like, man, I feel like I need to just go without this. Um, and a big part of that's just to show myself that I don't actually need that. But yeah, it's a removal of something that you normally consume in some capacity that's not food. Yeah, that's good. And so we, we've seen this uh, kind of where we live a lot of times over like Lent, mm-hmm. even though our church tradition doesn't like strictly practice Lent. I feel like where we live here in the Bible Belt, uh, Lent uh, is practiced mm-hmm. in a lot of different denominations and non-denominations. And that's kind of like the 40, 40 day period before Easter where you, you give up something. Um, a lot of actually the early church and like used to fast mm-hmm. and it would kind of, it was kind of looked more like Ramadan. Mm-hmm. If you know anything about Ramadan where they would give up, they wouldn't eat when the sun was up. Mm-hmm. And then once the sun went down, they would all gather together and, and eat. But we've kind of turned it into a practice of abstinence, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but where we give up, Hey, I'm going to give up social media for 40 days, or I'm going to give up uh, television, or I'm going to give up, Chocolate. Eating fast food. Yeah, yeah fast food, coffee. Well, I, I know, it's kind of... But, yeah. but it's not It's, but it's not, not, a, not eating food. Right. Yeah, it's a saying, very specific yeah, type it's, of yes. food. There's this thing that I specifically crave, um, and I'm going to remove this thing from being able to mm-hmm. like act out on that desire. Yeah. Um, so you're still eating food, um, but you might remove a food, like you mm-hmm. said. Um, like yeah, Fast food's a great example. Mm-hmm. If somebody's like, man, I eat out a lot. Maybe for all of Lent, you abstain from eating out and you're forcing yourself to, okay, we're cooking together, you know, at home. You're probably eating at least a little bit more whole for the most part if you're not eating fast food, things like that. Mm-hmm. And and just like fasting, the purpose, the main purpose for, for abstaining is to give up something that's good, right? We're talking about giving up things that we would consider gifts from God in order to, to obtain something greater. And so when you're thinking about, Oh, what, what could I give up or what would this look like for me? A lot of times it's really, it's really good to, to think about what are the things in your life that have the biggest hold on you? Or whenever I practice this with small groups, uh, I'll say, okay, think of something that you, that you kind of have a conviction that you need to give up. And then I'll give them like five minutes to think about it. And then we'll get back together and I'll say, okay, what, what are we going to give up this week? And I, and they'll say something and I'll say, okay, so that was the second thing that came <laughs> to your mind. What was the first? Oof. Right. Yeah. I mean, we all do it. Mm-hmm. I do uh-huh. it too. We all do. Where it's like, oh, for me, it's always coffee. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I probably need to give up coffee for mm-hmm. a week. And then I'm thinking, man, that would be way too hard. I don't <laughs> want to do that. And so I'm like, okay, I'll give up french fries or <laughs> i'll delete instagram which i'm like yeah it would still be kind of hard but not mm-hmm. as hard yeah. and the, so it's always hey what was that first thing mm-hmm. that you were convicted do it give give that up and it's also just a good practice to be like hey i'm recognizing that that this has some power over me yeah. and i'm gonna break some of the bonds that it mm-hmm. has over me by by willfully giving it up for a specific period of time mm-hmm. And in those moments where I really crave it or really want it or turn to it, I'm going to gonna maybe even re- return to the Lord. Yeah. And instead of going to those things, I'm going to go to God. Because it's so easy. Maybe this is just the seven in me. It's so easy in those moments to be like, oh, well, I can't have coffee, so I'm just going to drink seven cups of tea today. <laughs> yeah. Or I can't have 
French fries. So I'm just going to like go on like a, a chocolate binge or, yeah. or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we, it, it's so easy for us to replace it just with other things. Mm-hmm. And, and if you want to put this into practice, I would strongly encourage you instead of replacing it with something like go to the Lord yeah. in, mm-hmm. in those moments. Yeah. And the, when you're thinking about abstaining from things, it can be like multifunctional where you give up something that is good um, and it's something that like doesn't necessarily have like a hold on your life uh, just for the sake of pursuing something better, this kind of more intimate relationship and dependence on God in this way. Um, but there are definitely seasons where you might realize that something has a genuinely sinful hold on your life. Like it has become an idol to an extent. Mm-hmm. And in order to break that, abstaining from it for a long period of time could be a really good practice to do that. And these even could be also good things. I think I know people who have done this um, with their gym habits, being in the gym, working out the way you look, all these things has become an idol in their life. Mm -hmm. They recognize it. And even though physical fitness is good and we should be moving and exercising, they will go from, man, I'm working out six days a week, two hours a day, just absolutely grinding to I'm going to go two weeks and I will not go to the gym. Mm. And for somebody who's in that type of rhythm of life, that's like a hard thing to do. Uh, And so thinking about abstinence is like, man, this can be something that I just, I need to draw near to God with this or recognizing this thing has a little too much of a hold in my life. I'm going to do this to reset almost. I think are good ways to think about abstaining from things. That's really good. And so for sake of time, as as we close, I I think it would be helpful as we're talking about fasting, silence and solitude, abstaining, what are like, if you could give a college student that's listening right now, just, Hey, here's one helpful thing that you could put into practice this week. Something that's, that's manageable that they can make a part of their schedule. Something that, uh, well, I think the one for the majority of people um, that is the hardest is to have a consistent fasting routine and mm-hmm. rhythm in life. Uh, our culture with all of these at, r- removal of things and abstaining from anything in our culture is the exact opposite of what is normal. Um, and so ju- it can be really hard, but I do think that regularly fasting might have one of the largest impacts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to like start at a really simple level, uh, take one day this week, choose a meal that you are that you would normally eat like if you're don't if you don't usually eat breakfast don't choose breakfast but choose like lunch or dinner this week do not eat food that meal and instead spend that 30 minutes or hour or however long you would normally do it praying in some capacity um if you can't if you're like i have no idea how i'd spend 30 minutes in prayer spend five minutes in prayer go on a walk go on a walk yeah Yeah, go on a prayer walk or something like that um but just start there and get just a taste of what that looks like because even just skipping one meal it's like it's not horrible, but you'll you'll feel it a little bit. Your rhythm is broken. By you'll be a you little hungry. Di- if you skip lunch, by the time you get to dinner, you're like, man, I'm kind of, I'm feeling this. Yeah, exactly. And so starting, you literally just do one meal and just see what happens. Basic starting round for fasting. That's really good. And we didn't talk about this, but two things I would, I would like add to that to kind of confirm that that would be really good is that one, Jesus says in Matthew six, he assumes that his followers will fast. He says, and when you fast, but then also the early church fasted two days a week, mm-hmm. every Friday. week. Yeah, mm-hmm. they fasted twice a week. Every, this was a normal practice for them. And so I think that's just, that's great. Pick 
and do it with community. The early church did it all as a community. Find some friends that you want to do this with. Pick one meal. I love that. Pick one meal. That's it. And then go use that time to pray. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then just adding to the the silence and solitude aspect, um, choose, you know, the next five days, five days in a week, or even, you know, three days this week. And when your alarm goes off in the morning and after you've kind of, you know, sat up and you're not going back to sleep, um, pause and, and before you start your day, you know, maybe before you have a quiet time, whatever, um, just sit, set a timer for two minutes and just sit with the Lord. Don't think about your day. Don't think about all the things you have to do. Don't check your phone. Just just sit in God's presence and even just listen. Lord, what what do you have for me? Um, and and just yeah, Lord, would you quiet my mind? May I just be in your presence and just enjoy that. Mm, that's really good. And so, if you listen to it, this podcast and this feels weighty or daunting or even just you're like this sounds this sounds terrible. Like know that that these are the type of practices that will actually deepen and enrich your relationship with the Lord. If you've been following Jesus for a little while and you feel stuck or you feel like, man, I just thought I would be growing more than I am right now. Um, these are the type of things that that take this, like let's say a good sermon or or you know, you're reading your Bible. And these are the type of practices that take these, these like truths about God and start to like sink them deeper into our hearts and into our souls. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. And we'll, we'll end with this because I have no better words than, than what he has to say, specifically talking about like kind of like that practice of stepping away, silence and solitude. He says, there are times when solitude is better than society. And silence is wiser than speech. We would be much better Christians if we were more alone, waiting upon God and gathering through meditation on his word, spiritual strength for labor in his service. We ought to muse upon the things of God because this is where we really get the nutrients. Why is it that some Christians, although they hear so many sermons, make really slow advances in the Christian life because they neglect their closets. They neglect these silent places and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. They love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They would have corn, but they will not go forth into the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the trees, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop to drink it from such folly, deliver us, O Lord. So good. And so, and so if you're like me and you, you kind of long for, for something deeper, you long to deepen this relationship with God. These are the practices that we have to put into place. Not, not just to take something away, but in order to give us something so much better. And so we love y'all. And until next week, grace grace and and peace. peace.